With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. So thanks for listening to a very special or experimental podcast of mine. Uh, We're going to do an experiment today. But first, this entire podcast really started as an experiment about two and a half years ago. I figured how many people who were personal heroes of mine in every in every area of life could I just pick up the phone and call and have them answer any question I have for them so people ranging from Mark Cuban to Coolio to Amanda Palmer to Ariana Huffington to various astronauts I just wanted to pick up the phone and talk to them so that was an experiment still ongoing it's working out pretty well I'm really having such a fun time but now I wanted to try something new. I wrote a post a couple of days ago about minimalism and what I really thought it was. I, I don't really like when a lot of people who call themselves minimalists are just talking about not having a lot of possessions or you know not you know living off the grid. And I don't really c- relate to that as minimalism. So I sort of view my own lifestyle as very minimalistic, and I wrote about that, and I got. I would say 90% positive reaction, but then about 10% extremely negative reaction. So uh, I asked, I first also want to introduce the producer of my podcast. She has been incredibly helpful in booking all of my guests, helping to edit these podcasts, helping to to write about them to everyone. So Pamela, welcome as a, now a <laughs> guest on the podcast. Thank or a guest you. host, actually. Thank you, James. Thank so you. maybe describe a little bit what you do for the podcast. And then what I want you to do is I want you to play the devil's advocate to my post on minimalism. And I want you to not only ask me the kind of the questions people were asking me on these, you know, different comments, but just play the devil's advocate. Hit me with the hardest questions, and I promise I will answer all of them completely honestly. Okay, so... I have to admit, people... By the way, I interrupt a lot <laughs> no, on podcasts. You know I know that. Uh, <laughs> so, um, first, people are going to think I'm an asshole. These questions are coming from a lot of uh, online, LinkedIn, your website, Medium, um, pretty much everywhere that you post. Uh, you're all over the place, so we have uh, lots of comments. But uh, you said... Also to introduce myself, so what I do for you is I help book your guests, I research people, I love researching people, I feel really lucky that this job lets me kind of dig into people's biographies and find great people for you to interview. So I'm really excited to, to be here. And you do a great job at it. Thank you. Um, also, you book, you're, you're hardcore the way you book guests. Now, since you've started, uh, I'm doing almost all the podcasts with guests in person, and usually I'll be like, oh, okay, if you don't want to do it in person, we'll do it on Skype. You're always like, you even push back at like, you know, the most famous billionaires. No, you have to show <laughs> up at this studio or he, James won't interview you. And they show up. Yeah. So I'm really amazed. That was an experiment too. Well, I'm surprised, um, really happily surprised that when you just ask for something, the worst someone can say is no, but they're still interested. So, you know, they could say no, but most are saying yes. So that's great. But okay, so we want to jump into some of these yeah, so, so well, first I'll describe the post just in case somebody okay. didn't read it. So I'll describe it. It was sure. basically um, about a year ago, I threw out almost all my stuff, threw out or gave away almost all of my belongings. But then I realized it was only a fra- even though I had like 30 garbage bags full, it was still only a fraction of what of my possessions because you still have 
you know, everything from sheets to paperwork to furniture to computers to all this stuff. So recently, I actually went a different approach. I asked a friend of mine to go to a house I had upstate that I was renting, shut down the house. Like, I ended the lease. I She threw out everything. Uh, I, and I wouldn't let her be sentimental for me at all. Like, one time she called me up and said, um, hey, your diploma is here. You sure you don't want me to at least keep your diploma? I mean, you worked really hard for it. And I said to her, uh, you know, I've worked much harder for other things since then, so just throw out the diploma. Like, I don't care about it. And she had all sorts of things like that. But ultimately, and then I also uh, gave up a lease here in the city and threw out everything. So what I was left with were two bags. One bag uh, with clothes, about basically four or five outfits for, for the week, and it fit into one even I could, it's so small I could even carry it onto a plane. Like it was, I, I wouldn't have to check it. And another backpack where I put my computer and my iPad, and that's basically it. So, um, and and I and and I gave up that lease, so I had no apartment, and I'm not using Airbnb. I'm not staying in hotels. I've been actually experimenting with just staying with friends, and the results have been really nice. So, so I re- literally have. No belongings, no address. Uh, I go wherever I want. I have, you know, I, you know, and, and and but I even was saying I don't view that as total minimalism. If you're angry, for instance, you're not minimalist because you're carrying that in your bag. If you're, you know, if you have too many goals and they're creating anxiety for you because you're not achieving your goals, that's in your bag. If you're feeling possessive or feeling like you need to, you know, control a situation or a relationship, even that's not minimalism because you're still um, hold, holding that in your bag. So what I'm really trying to do is in every way, even with my thoughts, view experiences as more important than material goods or material goods that I want or material information that I, that people think is important. Like I'm not reading the news or the gossip columns or anything like that, just reading books that I love in the bookstore, by the way, because I don't carry around any books. All my books are on my Kindle, Kindle app, rather. So that's kind of the introduction to what that article is about. There's more to what I think minimalism is, but let's go into some of the negative reactions. There was, there was a lot of positive yeah. reactions, just to be fair. Most of the reactions were like, you know, good for you, good luck, whatever, and then p- more positive or more negative. Let's go into the worst, most negative reactions, plus any questions you have. Well, also, I think it's important to note that the title of the post was How Minimalism Brought Me Freedom and Joy. So in a sense, it's kind of like you're threatening people's uh, sense of freedom and joy because what you're doing is so opposite. Although I say this is just for me. Right. You know, like other people have freedom and joy from other things. For me, I like to just pursue well, and I don't even want to push my, you know, put myself opposite anyone. I like to pursue what I love and and not have anything holding me down. And I don't mean that in a, you know, responsibilities way. Like I'm responsible for my children who live with my ex-wife. I'm responsible for a business, you know, and I'm not, you know, shirking on my responsibilities. But for me, freedom is to let go of anything I want to, even thoughts that I want to possess or anger or fear or anxiety and part of that for me is not being attached to any of my belongings not being sentimental about anything because we all die eventually and all the sentimentality I either out have to outsource to my children or I don't know nothing like people just carry stuff around for generations and it's just all this useless garbage so I wanted to get rid of all of that and I did for the first time in my entire life I've never had so few belongings and so few responsibilities, except for the ones that are really important to me. So, okay, then then one of the things that everyone is asking or the people who seem to care about you the most is, uh, what's wrong? Is everything okay? Are you depressed? Uh, so let's start there. Yeah, it's funny. So many people popped up uh, messages like saying, hey, if you need someone to talk to, uh, my phone's always all open to you, or if you need... Um, a warm meal or shelter, please contact me. And, you know, maybe they think I've gone broke again because I've written repeatedly how often I've gone broke in my life. But 
things are actually great. I don't need to cry on anyone's shoulder writing. This is actually what I wanted to do. So, uh, but I, I don't, why do you think that's the natural reaction of people to think that, some, that I'm depressed or that something's wrong? Maybe because that is what depressed people do sometimes. I don't know. Maybe it could just be um, some people are just naturally sympathetic and concerned. You know, it could just be who they are. Maybe less of a reflection of you, but more of a reflection of themselves. Yeah, and I'm grateful for everyone who offered something. Um, but not, And not that I didn't need anything, but I actually I did take people up on stuff. So if someone, you know, some friends of mine said, hey, just stay here tonight, um, I just kind of, I surrendered to whatever was happening to me at the moment. So if someone said, hey, I have, I'm not going to be around for a few weeks, take my apartment, I took it. Uh, and Or if someone said, hey, I'll take you out to dinner, uh, I took it. Why not? You know, particularly if it's a friend I wanted to reconnect with, uh, that was great for me. So, so I enjoyed that part of it. But I definitely am not depressed about it. In fact, it's given me more things to be grateful for and more experiences to have just doing this and even in just the past few days. Okay, so then a question from LinkedIn. You know, so for example, just now you said uh, if someone invited you to dinner, you you did it. If someone uh, invited you into their home, you went ahead and took up their home, uh, that offer. So are you a freeloader? That's a, that's one of the things people want to know. Uh, I mean, maybe, but if someone offers something, it's not like I've asked anybody for anything. Uh, if someone offers something, does that make me a freeloader? Plus, I don't need to, you know, be a freeloader. Everyone knows I could just, you know, either rent another apartment or stay in an Airbnb or, you know, do whatever I want. I just didn't want to do the year-long lease thing again. Um, and I didn't want to, I don't want to own, I've written repeatedly how I don't want to own a house. Uh, I don't mind spending a little bit more for a place to stay because I know the cash I save on not committing it for 20 years in a house or even a year in a lease, uh, I can put to work in other ways. Uh, I think the best investment always is in yourself, which is what I'm doing. And um, in terms of being a freeloader, uh, no, because people know that I don't really need them to, you know, give me a, a jacket or anything like that. And am I, imp- I don't think I'm imposing on anyone. I didn't ask anybody for anything. So no. So another thing is, do you think that anybody could do this? Uh, n- no, I think for instance, when I first had children, um, I, and I was married, I couldn't do this. Uh, you have to have, I was responsible. I'm still responsible for my kids. I see them as much as possible. I support them. I, uh, you know, I'm going to see them today um, or tomorrow. I'm going to, I, I spend a lot of time. I talk to them every day on the phone. But I think when you first have children, it's probably impossible to do this. I think when you first have a job, when you're younger, when you're younger, you can either go all in on this before you have any responsibilities. You could like travel the world or whatever, which is not something I want to do. Or, you're beginning responsibilities with like a job and a family, and then you probably can't do this. But I think as you get older, it's, it's, I don't think everybody should do this, but I think it's worthwhile to understand that you have choices and choices are experiments. So let's say I'm driving into the city. I could either take the bridge or the tunnel. That Those are two choices, but they're also experiments. I can take the tunnel one day and I could take the bridge another day and I could see which one got me to my location, my destination faster. So even this is an experiment. It's not, it, you know, so it's something that I could decide to do for a while and then also I have the freedom to not do it. So it's worthwhile understanding that you can always, exp- no matter where you are or what situation your life is in, you could always turn your choices into experiments. And that's really what I'm doing now. I'm not saying I'm doing this forever. It's just an experiment right now. Well, that's interesting because I know one of the things you said when we opened the podcast is that you've been doing this uh, for two and a half years, this experiment, and it's still going well. So I'm wondering, uh, at what point does an experiment become permanent, or for you at least? Well, I think an experiment should never become per- permanent. Um, think about think about a zoo. So what kind of animals are in a zoo? What's, what's the most fierce animal in a zoo? A lion. Okay, so a lion's a great example. A lion in a zoo has a routine that it does every day. The lion keeper feeds it at the same time, three, you know, however many times a day. The, the guests of the zoo come in and look at the lion and say things, and the lion is walking around. And then the lights go out on the zoo at night, and the lion goes to sleep. So 
that hardly seems to me like the king of the jungle. I mean, the lion is the top, uh, before humans sort of dominated the earth, the lion is the top of the food chain. But when you um, relegate it to having a routine in a zoo behind a cage, it's no longer the king of the jungle. It's just like a, a completely defanged animal that's useless. So I think having too much of a routine, no matter what, no matter who you are, turns you into that defanged lion instead of the king of the jungle. So you should always experiment. You should always try new things. Even when I'm staying from Airbnb to Airbnb, I'll be I'll go to different areas or I'll try different types of Airbnbs. Uh, I'll travel around. Uh, I'll do all sorts of things, you know, sometimes super cheaply. I mean, since I threw everything out, I haven't spent any money either. So it's not like being minimalist has to be expensive, although sometimes sometimes it's expensive, sometimes it's not. Um, but uh, I, I think there's ways to experiment within experiments to, to shake up the routine. So uh, with not buying anything, does that mean you just genuinely don't want anything, you don't desire anything, or you do and then you resist it? Yeah, I try to check myself. Like if I pass a store and say, oh, that's a nice shirt. Well, I already have enough shirts. I don't need another shirt. Or if I get a shirt, uh, this has not happened recently, but another time I did this, I would pick a shirt to throw out. Uh, so I, everything has to fit within my one bag of clothes. Or if I see a book I like in a bookstore, I'll sit in the cafe of the bookstore and read the book. Unfortunately, this is the way the, that bookstores are going. I'll also re- download the book onto my Kindle app on my iPad it's unfortunate for the bookstore, but I'll buy a coffee and something in the bookstore where they make huge profits on any more profits than they make on the book. So I don't feel like I'm ripping off the bookstore, but I'll sit there and and read the book I like. I still appreciate hardcover books. I just don't have enough room in my bag to carry them around. So uh, one of the things you mentioned in the post was about uh, oh, 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 and I just want to answer. What yeah. else could you possibly want other than clothes to wear? And we need computers now to kind of stay connected and a phone. What else is there? Well, you know. Uh, quantity is certainly something people think about. Uh, the quantity of what? Well, uh, options, variety, you know, uh, different for a girl maybe or a guy, depending on your style, different uh, choices for outfits or a variety of um, restaurants you can eat at or... Uh, I have that variety. Mm-hmm. I eat at different restaurants. <laughs> so... Let's um, let's also look at some of more of the, the comments that people had. Yeah. So. People are really upset with you. Um, some people think you're being really selfish, thinking only about yourself, uh, not thinking. They say you're a bad father. They say you're not thinking about uh, anyone else's interest. Well, you know, more than 50% of America is made up of divorced parents. And so it's not like divorced parents all live with their children. But the key is, you know, usually the, the, the average, I think, is a divorced parent sees their kids every weekend or every other weekend. I do that as well, um, you know, one or the other. And I also try whenever I can during the week. I talk to them every day. This has nothing to do with minimalism, and I didn't leave my situation. You know, again, there's lots of reasons people get divorced. Uh, I didn't leave my situation because I was like, you know, F you. I just, I'm going on my own now. I'm going on my, you know, crocodile dundee walkabout so take care of the kids and see you later like i pay money to support the kids uh and i see them as much as possible i talk to them as much as possible whether i had possessions or a place or not has nothing to do with how much i see my kids it's just how the divorce was settled how i see my kids so i'm curious why people think minimalism has to do with not taking responsibility for your kids unless maybe they had an experience where Someone left them, perhaps, and they had a, and just took off and and gave up responsibility to the kids. Maybe there's some projection happening, but I don't want to say I don't know these people. But certainly, reducing possessions and reducing in my mind the things that I'm anxious about have has nothing to do with uh, um, not supporting my kids. If anything, I say, if minimalism requires no responsibilities at all, then I'm not a minimalist because. I'm responsible for my children, and I see them as much as possible, and I worry about them, and I think about them, and I love them, and uh, so yeah, I'm not a. I hope I'm not a bad father. Maybe I am, but at least not for any minimalist reasons. Ha- have they read your post? They haven't read my post, <laughs> although I did tell them 
I have no place to li- no formal place to live. So they have to tell me in advance if they're coming to visit me in the city because then I have to figure something out. But, uh, uh, you know, and they were curious, like, what's going on? They thought also maybe I'm depressed or something. Uh, I won't say which daughter, but one of my daughters cried because she thought something was going wrong. And I had to explain to her, no, this is all fine. This is good. And then I arranged to see her the next day. So we're going to play tennis tomorrow. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So because uh, some people might say that putting that, that, you know, doing this sort of lifestyle does put a burden on your children, you know, uh, making them think about when they have to come see you, um, what if they need you right away, because a lot of people don't have that choice with their kids of scheduling time to see them. So uh, do you think that those people who are who are claiming uh, that this isn't feasible for all pa- for for divorced parents, even as you say, do you think that they're wrong or you think that this is just what works for you. Uh, a, this is just what works for me right now. Um, and B, yeah, they're wrong because has nothing. To, like I, my kids could visit me, and I'll figure it out. Or I visit them, which is what's happening, and I still figure it out. So either way, it has nothing to do with whether I have a steady lease. They just can't send me uh, a physical package. <laughs> There's no place to send me a physical package. So, and I don't know what else. Like I saw a couple of comments all related to. My, you know, oh, he must be a bad father. Really, I'm giving my, I'm showing my kids also an example of there's alternative ways to live your life and find happiness. It's not necessarily grow up, go to school, uh, get own a house, have a white picket fence, have a family, and then they repeat. Like, uh, there's lots of different ways to live life and be happy. And so that's, I hope I can even teach them that. And you're teaching them how to how to deal with fear. I mean, you said one of your daughters cried. That's she was afraid for you. And uh, yeah, and I think she was also afraid of change in her life too, and that what this might mean. But I, I assured her, I, I, well, by by actually making plans to see her and talking to her every day, I assured her, you know, nothing's really changing at all. So I mean, things change a little. Like she's not going to go back to my old place, but. Other than that, she'll get used to change with me, but I'll still see her just as much, if not more. What's the likelihood that, you know, next week you'll have your own apartment? Uh, Zero. Just because I really, you know, for a long time I really hated the process of owning, and I realized I hated the process of renting as well. And if you're not owning and renting, you're you're limiting your choices. Uh, But I found that there's other choices. So, for instance... Airbnb is not that much more expensive than renting, and I could go. I could experiment with different places, and there's no security deposit or three months rent or or credit checks or whatever that yet. We're meeting co-op boards that you have to handle. Like renting is really stressful, also, and uh, and so, and hotels are often not much more expensive than renting, particularly in Manhattan. So, and particularly with Airbnb coming in as competition, hotel prices have gone down. So, and by the way, occasionally. Friends with great apartments are leaving town for months at a time. So, again, not everyone has that option, and I won't always have that option, but sometimes you have that option. Yeah, well, some people, you know, probably listening to this are thinking, my friends wouldn't let me stay with them for that long, this and that, and it could just become a jealousy factor of, you know, you have great friends, and uh, not everybody has that. Well, that could be that could be true. Not that I have better friends than other people, but also, I'm a little older, so maybe when I was in my 20s, I didn't have these kinds of friends. But after, you know, for for 20 years, if you do favors for people without any expectation back, then suddenly you realize, oh, I've created all this goodwill, and they act, your friends actually want to help you if you've spent a lot of time helping them. So I'm doing people a favor sometimes by letting them help me for the first time in decades. So that, and, and not that I need the help, it's just that it's nice to, again, experiment, experiment with different places. Because I only have one bag of clothes, uh, it's easy for me to enter someone's apartment and leave it uh, without any disruption. Like I'm, It's not like I'm carrying furniture around. It's not like I'm carrying other people around. It's not like I'm carrying um, you know, a whole life's worth of belongings around. Uh, I'm not spending any money on storage. I have m- minimal clothes. Uh Heck, I'll buy the food for the refrigerator so I don't take up any, you know, of their consumption energy. Uh, And, you know, 
people don't even know that I'm there. Uh, someone else asked, uh, what if you fall in love? How can you have this lifestyle? Uh, that's a, that's a good question. And it's related to the fact that honestly, I haven't talked a lot about my personal life. I mean, I used to always talk about my personal life on posts. Maybe I spoke too much about it, but I tend to be very, uh, honest about everything that's going on in my life, but I never want to say anything bad about anyone either. I usually, the only person I ever say anything bad about in my writing is myself. And so I'm kind of leaving my personal life out of my post lately. And people have been asking me questions, but there's no way I can really respond without, you know, maybe saying, I don't know, things that are none of anybody's business about for other people. But I will say, if I am in love and in a relationship, probably the situation will be a little different for me. And this experiment will be over. I'll try a new way of being minimalist, but I haven't, I'm not at that point. I mean, that makes sense. You, you always say that your life changes every six months. My life has, for, for, for uh, decades, my life has changed every six months. And so the key is good things and bad things always happen to you, no matter who you are. You could be the richest man in the world. You could be the happiest man or woman in the world. You could be the poorest man or woman in the world, the angriest. But your life, bad things are always going to happen. You know, like a relative might pass away or you might lose a job or someone might leave you like in a relationship or whatever. And all of these things have happened to me repeatedly. But hap happiness, or I don't want to use the word happiness, well-being is not about the things that happen to you. It's always your choice how you react to it. So I think that's 90% of well-being is how you react to a bad thing. Like there's all sorts of studies that show if you lose a leg, uh, you'll be sad, of course. Oh my God, I just lost a leg. This is the worst thing ever. But then people tend to go back to their baseline of happiness. They figure out ways to deal with it. I mean, I was having dinner with a friend of mine last week who um, has half of her leg on since childhood. And she says she was so young when she got half her leg. She was like four years old. It was an accident. She was so young when it happened that she's never not been happy because of it. She's never been sad because of it. And now she does all of these charity events and she goes to hospitals and, and visits kids and tells them they can have ha just as happy lives or even happier lives because of their misfortune with the leg or the missing limb. And so I, I think no matter what, I mean, I'm not always, you, you can't, you can't always aim for happiness. I mean, for, for 4 million years, humans aimed simply for food. And then only in the past 100 years, we have this whole kind of, um, you know, pop happiness culture. But, you know, you can aim for, for well-being. And I think, um, you know, that's, that's sort of the, the key to this is just making the choice at any point, okay, this bad thing happened to me. I'm going to find out what I can be grateful for in this situation. I, I'm going to be healthy now. I'm going to still, nothing can stop me from being creative every day. I could still do this podcast. I could still hang out with friends and what else do you need after that? You could you could do all these things no matter what's happening in your life. Uh, with your friend, that says a lot about loss, in the sense that uh, it really is in perspective. You know, she didn't lose anything because she didn't ever recognize having it to begin with. Uh, you think I should have her on the podcast? Yeah, she's actually really well known. Once once I have her on the podcast, so I won't say who who it is, but. Uh, uh, you know, I'll have her on the podcast. Okay, so I'm going to plug. Uh, everyone will have to go to jamesaltucher.com to find out later yeah, when who it she's going to be on my podcast. There you go. So. Um, so, one of the things that you wrote in the post, you said, um, if you stretch beyond what is normal, you find out who you are. Yeah, and I, I think this has come up in other podcasts that we've done too with different guests. But if you're just if you're just always in your comfort zone, if you're the lion always in a cage, you're never going to find out you're king of the jungle. So you have to know, you know, you have to push your limits a little bit every day. Uh, I mean, this has come up actually in so many podcasts, like even with Anders Ericsson, who you actually booked. Did you go to, you went to college where he is the professor, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he, he was the one who popularized, uh, along with Malcolm Gladwell, the 10,000-hour rule. Like if you use... You, if you do deliberate practice for 10,000 hours, you could become the best in the world in your field. And his whole point was, 
is if you don't do deliberate practice, if you don't push yourself with with like a teacher or a mentor or whatever, and then go beyond what you did the day before, you're actually going to get worse. Like there's no real, there's no such thing as staying the same. You're going to either get better or you're going to get worse. And that's why he, he points out in medicine, sometimes people who have been doctors for 30 years, you think they're super experienced and they're the better doctors, but often they're far worse because they haven't been improving. So you have to kind of drill down and see how they've been improving themselves to really decide if this person should be your doctor. So I think, I think it's another example. When you do these experiments with your life, uh, and again, everything's experiment, nothing's permanent. I may decide two weeks from now, things are completely different. Who cares? Um, but if you're not pushing yourself every day to be a little bit more um, than what you were doing the day before or challenge yourself a little bit more, you'll never really know what your limit is. Your limits could be so much further out than you thought, but you'll never know. It's interesting, though, because it's almost like you uh, minimize, minimize uh, everything that seems like the basics in your life so that you can maximize uh your podcast and the things that you really enjoy, you're reading, you know, three to five books a week. Uh, so you're able to maximize all the stuff that you really love by minimizing the things that you don't really care about. Right. And you know, when I, people say, oh, I've had this criticism before. Oh, maybe he, he had money so he can do this. I don't have time to do this. I have to work from like, you know, nine to eight or whatever. But when I, you know, I've written so many times about, making money, and then going totally dead broke. And this has happened to me more than once. And the last time was just a few years ago, and I started from scratch again, pretty much when I started kind of this direction in my blog, and opportunities happen. If you every day exercise the idea muscle and write down 10 ideas a day, and that doesn't mean you have to, uh, uh, you know, oh, I need a computer to do that, or I need, like, uh, a whole network of friends, or I need a lot of money to write ten ideas a day. I do it on a waiter's pad. I don't have any, you know, extra props. And then you just start creating opportunities for yourself when your creativity muscle is exercised. And again, it's a way of challenging yourself: which ideas you'll pursue, how you'll pursue them, what you'll pursue on the side while you're doing your job. And I talk all about this in either my blog or my newsletter. Um, you know, all the different ways people can do side gigs and and how they can make the transition from a job to more freelance type of employment. Everyone I speak to who goes from job to more, not necessarily freelance-ish, but having more freedom in their employment, whether it's on the job or having multiple streams of income, they're all feel greater freedom and well-being. I mean, well-being for me is three things. Improving my relationships with friends every day, getting more competent at something every day. So, you know, that's why we're doing this experiment with the podcast. That's why I experiment with my writing and and so on. And then finally, improving your sense of uh, freedom. So, you know, for me, throwing everything out was an experiment and, and also trying to throw everything out of my brain. So I'm not reading about the election. I'm not reading about Kim Kardashian. I'm only reading things that I want to read. I'm only listening to things I want to listen to, not what other people tell me to read or listen to. So this, for me, increases my freedom right now. I don't know how it'll be tomorrow. And I don't know if it'll work for anyone else. I never recommend for anyone else. I always say, or I want to say, advice is autobiography. I can only say what I'm doing, and then maybe other people can try or not. Well, so people are watching and listening to what you're doing. And one of the things that they want to know is, um, it's funny because you're saying that they don't have to take your advice. And one of their questions is, why should I take your advice? Uh, which is kind of interesting because you tell them sort of not to anyway. Well, yeah. So A, you don't have to, although you can say, okay, uh, maybe he's got a lot of experience in A, B, and C, so I'll take his advice on that. But I, I saw that comment. I think that that guy assumed if I have no possessions and no address, then I must be broken homeless. And it's like almost like this... Uh, you know, the average American right now has a negative savings rate. So if you're, if you throw everything out and don't, and have very few possessions, you're doing the opposite of the average American. So of course, a lot of people are going to be, Hey, wait a second. That's not correct. Cause he's doing different than me. Um, and the reality is I don't want to have a negative savings rate. I like to have freedom and cash in the bank and, 
you know, be able to move around and be able to do what I want to do. So, and not be beholden to debt or mortgage or credit card debt. Uh, so I think if you go against kind of their version of the American dream, then I must be either depressed or homeless or mentally ill, or maybe I went broke again, which, which I didn't. This is totally just a choice. And so maybe that's how they're justifying not taking my advice, but that's an incorrect way to justify it. They could just decide not to take my advice anyway because it's not a way they want to be, but there are some things I still might be an expert on, and they could say, okay, I'm going to read him for this, but not that. Well, you bring up an interesting point about um, knowing why you do anything. You know, people are asking, why should I take your advice? Um, Well, and you're saying they don't have to, but you know why you're doing something. And, uh, and, some people don't know why they do something. And that's what's so important about choose yourself is asking that question of why am I doing this? Yeah, like uh, at the end of the day, we're all, I, I don't like that saying, oh, we can all die tomorrow because the odds are, if you just, you know, if you just look at it, the odds are you're not going to die tomorrow. You've been alive for like, I don't know, 20,000 days, 10,000 days, whatever. So odds are you're not going to die tomorrow. You didn't die the prior 10,000 days, so why should you die tomorrow? And everyone says, oh, live life like you're going to die tomorrow. If I live life like I'm going to die tomorrow, maybe my day would be completely different. But I actually know I'm going to probably be alive tomorrow, so I have to act accordingly. But I do try to live life as if everyone else is going to die tomorrow. So if I meet somebody and I think, oh my gosh, they're going to die tomorrow, I'm going to treat them really well because, and with a lot of respect because they're probably going to die tomorrow. I'll pretend to myself. And so, again, um, that's just the way I do things. Um, that's how I like to treat people and live my life. And anybody else can do something different. They can, you know, you can choose. You just just don't make choices that you know are bad for you. So, for instance, if someone, I'm in New York City, if someone has a destination wedding in Hawaii over a holiday, I'm not going to go. And they put a lot of pressure, like, oh, you you have to go. You have to. Everyone goes to these destination weddings and those these destination weddings. I hate those because it takes me out of my life. I can't see my kids. I don't want to do. I don't want to fly twelve hours to Hawaii. Um, I'm just giving this as an example because this actually happened. I lost these friends. They've never. I, a friend of mine did it. A good friend of mine had a destination wedding in Hawaii on a July Fourth weekend. I preferred to do spend it with my kids in New York. And I didn't go, and they've never spoken to me again. So, because they wanted to control my choices, but I can't, I have to always choose what makes me happy or else I'm going to resent the person who made the choice for me. I'm going to resent myself. I'm not going to have a fun time. I'm going to waste three or four days of my life. Maybe I'd get sick because I was on a plane for 16 hours. Um, who knows? You, you, If you don't consistently choose yourself and you let other people make the choices for you, you're just going to be miserable all the time. Right. And if, you know, it's interesting because if you would have went to that wedding hypothetically and you still had those friends, who knows how many more choices they would have made for you after that. Yeah. You can't, you know, maybe then I'd have to go to, you know, wherever they live, like in California now, I'd have to go to every family event or else, you know, they weren't, they probably, what you can argue is they probably weren't my friends to begin with. Although I don't like that type of argument either. They certainly were my friends. They themselves made the choice you know, oh, anybody who doesn't come to our wedding and help us celebrate this great event in our lives is not going to be our friend in the future. So they put a kind of line in the sand, maybe, and um, which a lot of people do. Your boss will tell you, oh, you have to do A, B, and C, or you're fired. Well, you shouldn't listen to that type of boss because you should try to have more freedom even on the job. Like, you don't have to quit your job to have freedom. You just shouldn't, you just shouldn't associate with people who are going to try to make choices for you because eventually those choices are going to be not so good for you. And again, like I said, you're going to end up doing a bad job. You're going to be resentful of the boss and yourself. You're going to be unhappy. You'll get stressed. You'll get sick. And part of minimalism is limiting the number of people who can choose things for you. That doesn't mean quit your job. It means get a job where you have choice instead of other people just choosing for you. So minimalism is, is again, as much as possible being able to choose for yourself. And and you know to bring it back, you know not just not just minimalism. It's it's I think really the main point of your post was freedom and joy. Yeah, and this is just how you achieve it. Yeah, and maybe 
maybe it's not the minimalism side that's freedom and joy, but just having the choice to to do what I'm doing. This is a weird thing. Like I felt weird. I'm I'm 48 years old, and suddenly I'm thought, oh oh no, what will people? I got a little worried for a little while. Are people going to think I'm homeless and broke, which is what happened? And because what person? I've never done this before, and I got a little scared. But if you don't. Um, you know, and I always say I don't care what people think of me, but the reality is I do a little bit, just like anybody does. And um, I guess I did care, which is why we're even having this podcast, because I wanted to address, you know, all these questions that, that came up. Um, I do care a little bit, and I didn't want people to think I'm homeless and broke because I always say I do these things, and it's worked out really well for me, and it, it still is. Right, so you're uh, you're homeless, just not homeless and broke, you know, and that's a huge distinction. Homeless by choice. (laughs) Homeless by choice. You know, it's funny you said that last part about caring a little bit, because one of the first things I was actually planning on asking you was I was going to say, you know, people want to know things about you. And my question is, uh, do you want to answer them? Oh, yeah. I always answer anything, you know. Uh, You know, first off, when I first started writing my blog, uh, let's say it was like six years ago, I had a friend call me and say, are you about to kill yourself? Because I was just revealing so much. And then other people would uh, ask, you know, I would see on Twitter, people would say, this is like watching a train wreck uh, in, as it's happening. And uh, But the reality is I think most people are kind of afraid to be uh, authentic about what's going on in their life. So if they're having a hard time, they're embarrassed about it, which I've definitely been in the past. And I can't say I'm completely... Um, I'm not like a glass house where I reveal everything. I don't believe in radical honesty because I don't think you should say things that will hurt other people. Uh, So like I said, I only hurt myself. I'll never say anything that hurts anyone else. But except for maybe, I don't know, Donald Trump on occasion. (laughs) But, um, but, and even then, whatever, I don't care about the election. But uh, um, I think whatever you ask me, I'm willing to... Answer. Not that I'm so important, um, but because I'm trying this experiment and people are commenting, I figured let's give this a try and answer the questions people had. Again, not that because I'm so fascinating or anything, but just trying this experiment and seeing what people think. You know, it's interesting. Some people read the post and they were so angry that afterwards uh, they thought it was your fault that they read it. So they wrote, why did you write this? Yeah. uh, Yeah, because... I think they thought I had ego in writing it. And I don't know. I just, I like to write, I I love to write, and I love to write uh, stories that I know most intimately. So I don't know about, um, you know, elves and hobbits, but I do know about myself. (laughs) So this is what I can write about, and I try to write it in a storytelling fashion. This is the latest story that's happening to me, so I wrote about it. I like that, you know, so it's it's, uh, it's why Why did they read it? If they don't like me so much... Don't read it. Like, it's always interesting to me. It's like that nine-year-old girl in Pennsylvania who reported on a murder story, and everyone, like, trashed her and saying, oh, nine-year-old shouldn't be covering, like, a murder story. And she was so eloquent. She, oh, let's get her on the podcast. You know the story I'm referring to? Oh, look it up. Nine-year-old girl in Pennsylvania reports on murder story. Let's get her on the podcast if we can. She might be too big. She's, like, bigger than getting (laughs) Barack Obama on a podcast. But, uh, you know, she went on Good Morning America and everything. But she made another newscast, which is like, hey, yeah, I'm nine years old. Don't listen to me if you're so (laughs) upset. Like, that's it. So I agree with her. I'm learning from her. That's awesome. She's choosing herself at nine years old. Totally. I'm really, like, a big fan of this little girl. (laughs) Um, So... The the other question is, uh, have you cried since, you know, writing this post? Because uh, I think that's something people want to know is, is uh, are, are you actually okay, you know? Um, first off, I don't think crying and being okay are related to each other. People cry for many reasons. If I watch Schindler's List, I'm going to cry automatically, like the little girl in the red dress. I've seen the movie a hundred times. Automatically, I will cry at that moment. Obi-Wan Kenobi getting killed by Darth Vader, I will cry at that moment every time I watch Star Wars. Have I cried since throwing away all of my possessions? Yes, several times. I'm a, I tend to cry at a moment's notice. So, um, you know, in the past year, 
Um, I've had ups and downs plenty of times, just like anybody. You can't avoid bad times. Life happens. And again, it's, it's, it's your choice whether you view it as good or bad. So I always allow myself, okay, a day or a couple hours or a couple days to say, okay, I'm going to feel badly about this. And then I'll cry. And then I'll get back to, you know, trying to be physically healthy, trying to be, you know, emotionally healthy by connecting with friends, trying to be creative every day, trying to find the gratitude in the most difficult situations. And then I tend to bounce back extremely quickly and even thrive from it. Not every time, but most of the time. It works for me. I don't know if it works for anybody else. But, you know, in the past, let's say, six months, I've been, you know, I've lost two relationships that were very important to me. And again, um, I've never cried about those. And uh, again, I tried this as an experiment, not because I'm depressed. I'm actually very uh, content with my life now and more content since I did this. But certainly thinking about, you know, allowing myself to cry does allow, you know, if, if steam builds up, you either kind of have to let that steam vent a little bit or the house blows up. So I don't want to blow up. I, I Rather than being a maximalist and holding on to the things that make me sad, sometimes it's good to let the steam out a little bit and then move on and, and say, okay, I let that out. I'll tell you another thing I did in the past day that was really refreshing. There were two people who were really angry at me um, from the past five years that I haven't spoken to maybe in like three or four years, both of them. And so I wrote to both of them and said, here's why I always liked you or in one case loved you. And I'm really sorry how things happened and you don't have to respond. I just wanted you to know that. And so I, one person responded, one person didn't. And so now maybe I rekindled that friendship and we'll see. Again, those were experiments. There's nothing wrong with trying things like that. I have no ego about it about writing to somebody who might hate me. And because eventually it doesn't matter. We're all, you know, at at some point we do die, whether it's tomorrow or another point, and all, the, all those things don't matter. So being a, a minimalist to me also means stop holding on to, you know, these old grudges that might be, that in the long run are meaningless. And a great example is Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. I don't know if you ever read Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs. No. It's a great section towards the end. I mean, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates hated each other. Like, they were mortal enemies in the 90s. You know, they were suing each other. They were slandering each other. They were fighting all the time. But, you know, people get a little older, and things, life happens. Bill Gates is retired, and now is a very charitable guy. Steve Jobs was on his deathbed. And so Bill Gates, unannounced, you know, was walking in Steve Jobs' neighborhood, I guess in Palo Alto, just walks in through the back door, sees Steve in the living room, and they just hung out and spoke for the afternoon. And that's what ends up happening. Like, things kind of mellow out in the long run anyway, and so why not increase that the speed of that? Like, maybe they could have done that in the 90s instead of waiting, you know, another 20 years to do that. And so uh, um, I thought that was a nice story in, in Walter Isaacson's book, and I think, again, that's giving up on all of this past, you know, releasing your history doesn't mean you forget the history. It just means you release it because it's not ultimately that important. It's interesting uh, how you mentioned the speed of things because you did also mention that you threw away everything or you started to throw away everything a year ago. So uh, I think sort of in the same sense that you say doing things each day that improve 1%. It's, it, you know, it doesn't have to be overnight Bill Gates and Steve Jobs are friends or overnight you throw everything away. It's Right, like it could be, again, like let's say you are already a minimalist and you've thrown things out and you've kind of cleared your brain of a bunch of things. You could say, oh, well, I st you still have this resentment or anger for this one person who left you or fired you or treated you poorly, you know, Again, releasing that in some way, either by reaching out to them or you don't even have to reach out to them, just releasing it internally. I think always having a sense of surrender, like, okay, this happened and here I am. And and this, so everything that happened before led to exactly where I'm, I am now. I'm choosing to be happy, so it couldn't be that horrible what happened to me before. I mean, people could be happy anywhere. You could be in solitary confinement and be happy. Um, it's just your choice. So, And part of that choice involves releasing all the times 
you either made bad choices or other people made choices for you that you didn't like where resentment sort of built up from that. So again, releasing history is part of being a minimalist. So uh, two final questions just to wrap it up. What, what would be the first step, you know, for someone who's listening to this and says, James, I really like what you're doing. What, what's the first step to minimalism? Um, I don't know if there, I, again, we've been talking about minimalism as an ism. So there's no like one defined path. But maybe a very first simple step is one, you know, do one thing a day to either reduce something you're holding on to physically or emotionally. So let's just say physically is the easiest. Let's say you're carrying, let's say every time you move, you carry around the same set of books and you never look at them, but you're just carrying them around and you don't, you're never planning on reading on them, but you think, oh, maybe I might just take one book and donate it to the library or give it away or give it to a friend or put it on your sidewalk because eventually someone will pick it up. Uh, just or, or another great one is all of you, all of the letters uh, you've ever gotten from your bank, don't save them. They're online at the bank. Everybody always saves all their paperwork, but everything's online now. So throw out all the paperwork in your house or throw out, um, you know, extra sheets or towels that you, for guests that you're never going to have. Or if emotionally... What I try to do is I'll look at emails I got six or seven years ago that I never responded to, and I'll respond as if they just sent me the email an hour ago. Like, sure, I'll meet you for coffee, even if I didn't respond six years ago. Or look at your schedule and see the things you've all you've agreed to in the next few weeks and see something that you don't really want to do. Like, oh, I agreed to dinner with this person, but I don't really want to do it. Just write to that person and say, hey, can't make it. Looking forward to seeing you some other time. And just, you know, free up your time a little bit. There's all these different... Or just simply make a list of all the things you could free yourself from. That itself is a first step. So you don't have to do them. Just make the list and be aware of them and notice them. So so those are all first steps if you want to go down this path. And then, uh, you know, someone who who really is sitting here wondering, oh, I don't know, should I, should I not? What What's your advice to them? Don't. This is just, I just am telling a story about what I'm doing and trying. It might work for me or it might not. Don't do it. Like, uh, do you kind of come up with your own experiments about your life and do those. You know, again, it's all about finding out what who you are, what your limitations are, how far you can go, what's good for you and the people around you. Don't listen to me at all about it or take what you want. That's great. So, Pamela, thanks so much for being the guest host. I think we're going to try this every couple of podcasts. We'll try this format. We'll have different guest hosts or Pamela. You could come on again. People should tweet if they enjoyed having Pamela on as the guest host. And uh, thanks again. And thanks for producing this podcast. Thanks, James. This was fun. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com. And get yourself on the free insiders list today.